It's over 9,000! Greetings, Super Elite Warriors, and welcome to Final Forum, the podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball, Halloween, kind of. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time, and I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is the bikini. And yes, this is our Dragon Ball Halloween. We are veering off of Dragon Ball itself, specifically. And taking a break from our usual breaking down of the culture and the significance and the writing and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera of Dragon Ball to embrace spoopy season. Uh, it's my favorite time of year, as I mentioned on my mini-sode. Uh, I also mentioned I didn't know if it was Bikini's favorite time of year. Um uh, definitely. But if if not, we could do like a uh, an eight crazy days of Hanukkah. Uh, podcast. <laughs> if that's more your speed, I mean, uh, you know, if, space if that's Hanukkah. What the people want, yeah, if that's what the people want. Um, but so we're we're here, and instead of you know, you can only do scariest Dragon Ball things so often, and so our idea was to embrace the other times that Dragon Ball co-creators have worked on other things and appeared in quote unquote costume as other creators of things. And today we are stretching that concept immediately to its absolute limit. <laughs> it's like and, a, an old rubber band. It's already breaking down. You can tell it's not going to handle the strain. Well, and, uh, and we're talking about uh, a Godzilla movie. We're going to do a Godzilla movie commentary and because we're doing that we have invited some friends on and we're going to call them on our scouters right now and with us today we have the hosts the co-hosts the dynamic duo of the kaiju transmissions podcast sitting to our virtual left uh, he hails from the, what I understand is pronounced Michigan. It is the one, the only Kyle Bird. Thank you for having me. Uh, I have, in my lifetime, probably watched about 
60, 50 to 60 minutes of Dragon Ball content. That's what we like to I hear. I mean, really, when you <laughs> when you think of all the big moments, is that you don't really need much more than that, right? Uh, in in Bikini's life, he has watched fifty to sixty minutes worth of Godzilla content. So that yeah, that's about a fair. <laughs> there you go. So we've got an interesting crossover, and to our virtual south, <laughs> we have a, our first repeat guest on Final Forum. You know him as the other co-host of Kaiju Transmissions. You may recognize his voice from our Uzaru episode. It is Matt Parmley. Hey, thanks for having me on. Really, really happy to uh, be back. Although, for me to be your first repeat guest, I mean, you guys could certainly do better, I'm sure. I'll be honest, for the first few episodes, I thought I was the guest. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to put this out there. If in the middle of me talking, I suddenly go go dark for a minute it's because i'm muting my mic i uh i contracted a a space virus out here in the dark in the dark reaches it's really of space. quite an issue um which and... is shocking when, when you think when we're out in the middle of space that that's definitely inside a uh safe buffer from everyone else if, that's if you would space, just socially so. distance from me ever uh <laughs> <laughs> I no the, i, uh, I, I I thought the yeah. freezer force had like space medicine. Isn't that supposed to be better than? Well, we tried to put him in an isolation tank, but he's mostly what I would call jam. So <laughs> it didn't work out too well. So I'm, I'm feeling much, much better. So we're, we're going to soldier on so that we can produce some quality content for our listeners. Today, we are taking a look at a movie from the Godzilla franchise, and the reason we are doing it here is not at all because I am a huge Godzilla fan and I wanted an excuse to look at something Godzilla for this podcast, but it's because Akira Toriyama actually makes a very brief cameo as an extra in this film. And this is the 1984 film, The Return of Godzilla. We are going to watch the Japanese version. So for those of you out there who have this version on home video. If you have a Blu-ray or DVD of this movie, you more than likely have this version of the movie. The U.S. version has only ever been released on VHS. If you are seeking this version out elsewhere, I won't say specifically where you could find it. Internet Archive! (laughs) Um, Sorry about that. And we are queued up. We have... Those of us who have the Blu-ray have hit the play button on the menu. We are queued up at exactly one second on the the screen because every version of this I've seen out in the uh, the high seas of the internet, as it were, it seems to be a rip of this Blu-ray. There's no like um, home video logos. Once you hit the play button on this Blu-ray, it doesn't have like a Kraken releasing. Uh, which is the company that put this out thing in front of it. So uh, we're going to hit the play button. I'll count us in. I'll hit three, two, one, go. When on go, everyone hit play. We'll get underway. We'll probably do a little bit of, you know, how I first saw this movie type of thing. And then we'll kind of tear into it. We got a whole bunch of notes to get through on this one. Does that sound good to everyone? Everyone got their remotes all woken up and everything? 
Yeah. No, yes, have, you, have you guys talked about the guy, the cameos from different kaiju on dra- uh, uh, yes. in Dragon Ball at all? Yes. So we've talked yeah, about Baragon and we have we have we have not talked about any of the culture in in the show <laughs> on on this pet podcast about the culture. No, the I show. mean like they they have cameos <laughs> on Dragon Ball. Yeah. We've yeah. we've talked about Gamera. Uh we did a we did a lengthy discussion about that. He shows up in one of the episodes. We talked about we did Matt when Matt was on with us. References. When Matt was on with us, Bird, you probably should have listened to that episode since it was your co host, Shade. <laughs> But <laughs> he doesn't listen to anything I'm on. <laughs> we did. We did a whole That's bunch true. of discussion about how, you know, King Kong was he- heavily influential in Japanese cinema and in introdu- in creating Godzilla and influencing Toriyama into creating the great ape form for Goku. And so we talked about King Kong escapes. We've we've I've mentioned Ultraman and Ultra Q multiple times. So we've. I make a point to mention it on almost every episode. That was uh, I, th- I think Baragon and Ghidorah wound up uh, in some episodes of one of the. I think they're like they got it covered. They, they've uh, they've covered all that stuff and like you know the Ultra Seven design outfit used for Chi Chi when she like it's it's oh yeah even I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, they got, they, they're good. They're good. So, if everyone's got their remotes queued up, on go. Hit play, and we'll get rolling. Ready? Ready. All right. Three, two, one, go. All right. So this, before we get into our notes, this was actually one of the first Godzilla movies I saw. Not first first. I was more familiar. I think a lot of people our age, we're all about the same age. More familiar with the hero Godzilla of the late 60s and early 70s. So before this, I had seen like Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, Godzilla versus Gigon, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. I definitely thought of Godzilla as the good guy and the hero. This was the first movie I ever saw where he was not the good guy, where he was pretty explicitly the bad guy. And as a, I was probably six year old did not understand that concept at all. And I assumed the people in this movie were the bad guys. <laughs> and Godzilla was just lost and confused the whole time. And <laughs> so when they were attacking him, I would be very sad and upset. And I'm like, they're just jerks. Uh, so that's my sort of history with this. Is This is one of the earliest Godzilla movies I ever, ever saw. Yeah, I think... I think it's birds, but I know it was mine, and this is what made me into a fan. It also scared the crap out of me. I think uh, this is not what made me into a fan. Huh? Uh, but this is this is the movie that I remember. I've, I probably have the most vivid childhood memories of actually this movie. And uh, back when VHS tapes were a thing, I don't know if you guys have those in space, but we have them here. And I used to beg my dad to go rent it, and then like beg my grandma to watch it with me over and over. It's one of those things where, like, your kid wants to watch the same thing like twenty times in a day. That was me with this movie. I had a VHS recording of this, so I would just watch it. We had the sweet old uh, two VCR setup at my uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> my house as a kid, so we only needed to rent movies once. 
But, uh, geez, I don't know. This was probably, I mean, it, it wasn't the first or second Godzilla movie I saw, but it was probably in the my first five, maybe. Um, I I had no trouble, I guess, distinguishing that this was different and 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 that sometimes Godzilla is a good guy and sometimes he's a bad guy depending on the movie. So I didn't, I don't know, I didn't, it didn't send me into any kind of crisis or anything. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I like this movie. Both the Japanese and the American versions have been accused of being, um, I guess, kind of dry. And, and and they are, but uh, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. And now it's one of my, my favorites of the, uh, the Heisei series of Godzilla movies. Which I don't know if your listeners know what that means, but basically the second yeah. run of movies that Toho Studios made. Yeah, I'm, I'd be the uh, the neophyte of the group. I actually watched the American version of this uh, yesterday, and it was the first time I'd seen the movie. Uh, I gotta say, it's it's the writing for the the American version because I know they they switched some stuff up. Seemed a little bit, I guess, schizophrenic in some parts for me. But overall, <laughs> I found the the movie pretty enjoyable. As far as like other. Godzilla movies I've seen. I saw the old one. I was at the in the late nineties there with Matthew Broderick. Yeah, ninety eight. Yeah, uh, th- that's that the was Dragon my... Ball evolution of the Godzilla franchise. It, 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 yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm understand. I understand. I'm coming in at a low point there, but I I enjoyed it. I thought I, I thought it was okay for what it was. I was younger at the time, so obviously my standards are going to be a little bit lower. But uh, uh, you know, I just watching a big monster stomp through a city and blow stuff up. I thought was pretty cool. But I think one of the things I've noticed with these older films is there's a lot more subtext and a lot more things going on where Godzilla is not really the main thrust of, of the theme. He's more just a representation of like chaotic things in the world that are beyond our control. And I, I actually really enjoy that aspect. So this is the first Japanese Godzilla movie you've seen then? Uh, yeah. Okay. You should watch the original. I'm sure you've been told that, but. The 1954 <laughs> movies. I'm actually going to be real interested to, to see or to hear uh, Bikini's reaction comparing the two, like the two cuts, because they're so drastically different. Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping that some of my questions from the other version get answered in this one. So <laughs> I will definitely be pointing out things. Uh, if you have quite, if you watch the American cut and you're like that didn't make sense, I don't understand this. The Japanese cut will pretty much have you taken care of (laughs) got it perfect excellent right um it's interesting though it's funny though that you watched the american version first because that is how pretty much everyone kind of came to this movie if you saw this movie before what like 2016 when the when the when the japanese version finally came on home video uh i mean yeah i i think it, it, yeah, this was, I think, of all the Japanese cuts, this was the one that took the longest to make it here, for sure. Yeah. So, the the return of Godzilla, a.k.a. Godzilla 1984, a.k.a. later on in its American release, Godzilla 1985, a.k.a. Godzilla, yes, this is the second of ultimately four movies that were released with the title in Japan of just Godzilla. 
So if anyone ever asks you to name four Godzilla movies, you could say Godzilla, 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 and Godzilla. Halloween's <laughs> almost there. <laughs> uh, the movie was released December 15th, 1984, with a budget of approximately $6 million American equivalent dollars and earned approximately $14 million American equivalent dollars. So it was overall a moderate success. It opened at number three in Japan behind Ghostbusters and Gremlins in what newspapers called The Year of G and was one of the most successful domestic movies of 1984 for Toho. It actually, I think it was the second most successful domestic film in Japan. Um, by the way, this scene is like one of the best horror sequences in a Godzilla movie. I love this scene. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's cut worse in the American version, the Japanese version. You see more of this sea louse that's attacking him and you see more of like the mummified bodies. And yeah, I was going to say the pacing on this, the American version was way different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that was an attempt to make it a little more. You know, audiences in America (laughs) thought of Godzilla as being certainly sillier and probably were going to be they probably thought people would be taking their kids to see this and they wouldn't want to see, you know, a giant sea louse sucking people's bodies dry and, you know, irradiated bodies all over the place. (laughs) They they underestimated the, the interest in that because I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah the, this uh, the, this version is a lot. It's more of a slow burn, and it's a lot moodier. Um, this is yeah, this is a great horror scene. The mo- I, I don't know if the, I would call this movie a horror movie, but it it has the atmosphere of a horror movie, which I think is something I really like about it. Yeah, it's another reason I thought it would be fitting for this October month. Um, but the movie is directed by Koji Hashimoto with a screenplay by Shuichi Nagahara. It's produced by Tomoyuki Tanaka, who produced the original Godzilla movie in 1954. And it's scored by Reijiro Kuroku. I'm probably butchering, butchering those pronunciations a little bit. The effect sequences were handled by Teruyushi Nakano. And this is the first film in what would become known as the Heisei era of Godzilla films, which we talked about once before on the podcast, the difference between the Showa era and the Heisei era because of Toriyama's approach to those two eras. He's more into Showa era filmmaking and and storytelling, especially. He likes brighter things, more colorful characters, more fantastical stuff, and that's why Dragon Ball is the way it is. This is... A more serious style of storytelling in the Heisei era, and it's marked by, yeah, more serious, more, more, more uh, serialized, where there's actual sequels instead of each thing just kind of being an adventure that just sort of happens. Um, and uh, even though this movie technically takes place in the Showa era, it is considered by Toho to be part of the Heisei era. I think it's, what did this happen, like a year or two before the Heisei era officially started? Um, but, so after the after the box office failure of the 1970s Godzilla movies, and that's specifically and especially the last one, which was Terror of Mechagodzilla in 1975, Toho was still trying to develop projects because they were still making money off of Godzilla merchandise because Godzilla sells to kids, and so toys sell to kids. American fans got to see Godzilla in Marvel Comics and the Hanna-Barbera animated series. 
UPA, which is like United Pictures Association or something like that, uh, tried and failed to get interest for multiple Japanese co-productions with Toho, including a color remake of the original. They wanted to do Godzilla vs. Gargantua, Godzilla vs. the Devil. There was all these concepts that were flying around, and just none of them ever got off the ground. In 1980, Toho signed a deal with Disney to distribute Disney films in Japan. That's big for Akira Toriyama, uh, who loved Disney. This includes, though, re-releasing many of their animated classics theatrically, and this gave Toho then the idea to re-release Godzilla classics, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, etc. These re-releases did well enough, and Tomoyuki Tanaka decided, hey, let's take a serious attempt to bring Godzilla back. There was an attempt to bring Godzilla back for the 25th anniversary of the original film and tie something new into the Three Mile Island accident, which... If you don't know what that is, in 1979, there was a partial meltdown of a nuclear reactor in Pennsylvania in March, and it was international news. It was actually took like 15 or 14 years and $2 billion to ultimately clean up. The cleanup duties were finalized in like late 1993. Uh Tanaka, encouraged by the success of King Kong, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and The Thing remakes, as well as Alien being a hit in 1979, noticed some Toriyama influences in those, he decides to, has he has this vision to bring back adult audiences alienated by the more child-friendly and fantastical approaches taken in the 70s. So a draft script was submitted in 1980 that pitted Godzilla against a shape-shifting kaiju called Bakan or Bagan, which that's a whole can of worms yes. for Godzilla yeah. fans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but the project ultimately never got off the ground. One thing that uh, uh, I'm reminded of as um, we were just seeing uh, photos of the Godzilla from 1954 is that uh, this movie doesn't clarify that it's a different Godzilla. It do- it, it kind of just talks like he's just back. And it's not until, uh, you know, a few movies later that Toho uh, decided to kind of be like, no, the Heisei Godzilla and Godzilla... 1954 are two different monsters. And uh, here we have the Prime Minister, uh, who is probably my favorite character in this movie. It's a very understated performance, but uh, every emotion that he's going through is worn on his face. Um, I would I would agree with that assessment, 100%. Yeah. Oh, and, and you, yeah, and you haven't even seen, awesome. like, he is... So he shines so much more in this version of the movie. Yeah, he he's 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 like I'm, a real. I'm thinking, I'm thinking in particular of a scene down the road here a little bit. I won't get into it till we're actually there. But there's there's a scene uh, where there's a meeting between Japan and America and Russia, and it just that scene alone, I was like, I was sold on this guy. Yeah, and uh, that actor Keiji Kobayashi, he's um he he's uh, not in a lot of Godzilla stuff, but. Um, um, Keiju Kobayashi is in uh, a lot of uh, Koichi uh, Okamoto's movies. Um, he's in the original Submersion of Japan, which if anyone out here listening is a fan of that, of this movie, I would say watch the original Submersion of Japan because uh, this movie is very much modeled after the kind of disaster movies 
like that. And you see a lot of uh, that and prophecies of Nostradamus and uh, and the last war. You see a lot of similarities in this. Yeah. Kobayashi was in like 200 plus movies in a career that spanned 70 years. Yeah. Um, wow. But he, this... He's 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 a I mean, he uh, he's very quiet and. Like I said, it's a very understated performance, and so he, he he's not acting as broadly as the other actors, but he's also acting circles around them, <laughs> almost. Uh, um, this scene as well is also very different in the American version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a scene. There, there's a scene. <laughs> as <laughs> yeah, far as differences. <laughs> there's a lot of differences, yeah. But well, yeah, there's, there's one very... Uh, specific that you'll notice uh, being pretty much the opposite in the American. I, I think I know which scene you're talking about. Yeah, I think uh, I think Jelly might have effect. accidentally spoiled that for me yeah. a while back. <clears throat> With uh, well, there's some actor uh, introductions that we we're gonna have to make. We're we're coming up on um. Yasuke Natsuki, who uh, I think fans would mostly recognize from uh, Ghidra, the three-headed monster, but uh, he's also the lead in Dogura. Um, he's going to be Professor Hayashida coming up. But he's also a great actor. Um, Toho veteran. Uh, and um, I know it's in the notes somewhere, so I don't want to jump the gun. But while I, while we're on the subject, we should mention that um, Hayashida was uh, Hayashida was supposed to be played by um, Akahiko Harata, who played Doctor Serizawa in the original movie, um, but he passed away shortly before this. Um, so it was almost it was it was um, kind of a short notice casting change. But yeah, and Natsuke even said later in an interview that if he had known the the part was Harada's originally, he actually would not have taken it because he, he didn't think he was worthy to step into that man's shoes. Um, but Harada did do publicity for this movie when it was mm -hmm. initially announced. Yep. He, he put on the famous Dr. Serizawa eye patch from the original and was involved in a big press release saying Godzilla's back and... That was like everyone's first kind of tease that this was going to be something that was darker and more returning to the roots of the original. With the production, it's worth mentioning um, in. So while while, uh, you know, Toho is kind of thinking of ways to bring Godzilla back in a in a serious way. I, I think that Tanaka. He knew that. If he was going to bring Godzilla back, it couldn't be a low-budget kind of kids movie. He really wanted it to be a big spectacle that could compete with uh, Hollywood productions and throw a lot of money into it. And um, I think that's part of why it took so long to get another Godzilla movie made, is that he knew things needed to change and knew it would cost a lot. While he uh, is... You know, trying to find the right story, though. Uh, things in America are a little different, as um, Steve Miner, uh, the director of movies like um, Friday the 13th, Part 2 and 3, and Lake Placid, 
and others. Um, he proposed uh, making a Godzilla movie. He was the first American to get the rights to do an American uh, Godzilla film. And uh, he hired Fred Decker, who uh, made Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps as the screenwriter. And uh, Toho approved, but uh, it, it was it was going to be an independent production, so Miner had to find funding, which he couldn't, and ultimately that led to the, the movie's demise. There's a lot of really cool stuff about that movie you can find online. You can find the script, you can find uh, pictures of William Stout's Godzilla design, all kinds of things. Um, but uh, it, uh, it was going to be... pretty similar to the marvel godzilla in a lot of ways i, th- I yeah yeah they, william stout's godzilla is very dinosaurish looking like the marvel godzilla um uh that but uh that american godzilla was supposed to be um made in 3d uh eventually uh there there were plans to use stop motion um which got scrapped and uh, like I said, uh, just lack of being able to find funding kind of put that movie in in uh, kind of the the graveyard. But um, f- elements of Fred Decker's script actually wind up in here. Um, a lot of the kind of uh, American and Soviet tensions are pulled, uh, and also um, things like the uh, the orbit, the missile, the orbit missiles in space stuff like uh the anti-nuclear missiles being shot to kind of knock godzilla out and neutralize him for a bit um even even this even godzilla stepping on the the bum later um those are things that are are in the fred decker script and uh speaking of godzilla veterans ashiro honda was actually um approached to direct this and he said no because he was working with Kurosawa very heavily. Um, he was uh, Kurosawa's assistant and, you know, helped with the scripts and uh, first AD on his last five movies, basically uh, keeping Kurosawa. There's no nice way to say this, but Kurosawa was a cantankerous old bastard that was very <laughs> difficult to work with. No, and and Honda was very much the opposite. So he, he kind of... Uh, kept him in line um right here uh you see the reporters coming in and wait wait where is he um in a minute we'll see shinpei hayashia um who is uh uh Pretty well known in Japan. Uh, there he is. He's the guy uh, trying to take pictures. He shows up in in uh, a few parts whenever there's reporters. Um. Uh, but he he directs uh. Uh, these days he he directs independent um, kaiju movies uh, like a uh, Rago and Raiga, and Rago Rago versus Oga. Um, he's he's uh also um. In Japan, he's a very well-known uh, rak- rakugoka, and those are uh, basically like comedians. Only uh, the, that's the closest thing I can think of to compare them to. Um, basically, they they're storytellers. Um, but you go see one because they're they're often funny stories with a lot of characters and things. Anyway, we'll we'll run into him any basically any time there's reporters. 
Anyway, Ishiro Honda turned the movie down, and uh, even if he wasn't with Kurosawa, I, I'm not sure if he would have taken the job anyway. He uh, he really felt at this point um, that Godzilla was not really his anymore and um, kind of felt, you know, that he'd kind of probably said all he wanted to say <laughs> with Godzilla. But Koji Hashimoto... Um, he started with Toho in uh, 1962. Uh, he was a, um, an assistant director on uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla. Um, he worked on five of Ishiro Honda's movies throughout the 60s, and um, he remained an AD with Toho um, through the 70s. He worked on some Kurosawa films uh, and um, some, uh, some higher-budget uh, Japanese films. Right before this, he did Sayonara Jupiter, um, which is uh, not... <laughs> <laughs> not not as good as this, but uh, visually it's it's interesting looking, I guess. But it's it's not a, a good movie. Um, uh, these would be his only two directing efforts. Um, he ended up kind of deciding in his life that he would rather produce and do other things besides uh, uh, direct. Yeah, the Japanese film industry was still reeling from the rise of television and home video markets and the eighties were still, you know, this is early eighties. So they were still trying to climb out of uncertainty. I mean, you know, Dye had shuttered at this point and uh, they were, there was a lot of uncertainty. So he wanted to step aside from directing and kind of spearhead with production. So he could sort of, guarantee successes a little bit more and keep his job and keep the doors open and the lights on <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is another great tension building scene i definitely wouldn't call this one a, a horror scene at all but this is a great tense build up yeah it's also the first time you start you really hear you, you hear them talking about global nuclear conflict right godzilla's attacking the sub and that kind of leads to you know why would hashimoto want to bring back godzilla now why make another godzilla movie and why would you want to return godzilla to the more darker tone um of the first film right because he the the series as it progressed it, it became much more kidified much more able to be uh, promoted towards children much more silly um, but the answer that he came up with was the Cold War. And unfortunately, if you look at like what's going on in the world around us, this movie is like almost speaking into our current time. And the nuclear tensions were incredibly high worldwide and perhaps nowhere more so than Japan, which it actually has a unique place in Asia because it was an American ally. It has American military bases and it was actually geographically near Soviet territory. They felt caught in the middle. And we mentioned on the podcast before how much of Japanese cinema in the 50s, 60s, and 70s was incredibly influenced by the tensions around Korea and Vietnam. And how movies like The Last War, which is, by the way, an incredible movie, you should definitely check it out, um, were created out of the unique Japanese perspective around the global issues. And like The Last War, I mean, it deals with nuclear apocalypse and Armageddon. That movie is so heart-wrenching. And just really, really well put together. I think that it perfectly encapsulates the fear of the early part of the Cold War. This would be a great complementarian film to that. 
Um, and then ha Hashimoto, of course, felt that the Jap that Japan would have a unique and interesting things to to say about the Cold War. And so, um, as we go through the film, we're going to make sure that we point out what these perspectives are, and most of them are going to be obvious. Uh, but it provides some of the film's more interesting directional uh, directorial directorial choices. And as far as Hashimoto's work on the movie goes. We're also going to point out the most prominent changes from the Japanese release to the uh, compared to the American version. Blows my mind that, you know, here we are in 2022 and a lot of the things that happen in this movie in a lot of ways are still relevant. And you got Toho like forcing mandates on people to not make Godzilla when they're making new Godzilla movies to specifically not reference nuclear tensions and things like that. And, you know, they, they, we sort of recently found out that they told, uh, Hideaki Anno when he was doing Shin Godzilla to not make Godzilla a nuclear allegory. And, and he, yeah, he was pretty much like, no, <laughs> <laughs> rightfully so. And it, it just blows my mind though, that they're like, yeah, you know, this character that was created, because of that, and then 30 years later, we made a movie that was still uh, relevant in in that sphere, and you could probably make a movie that was that's very similar to this one today, where you could have, like, Godzilla attack, like, uh, uh, a, an aircraft carrier or something, and have international tensions be sort of on the rise, and, and they're like, yeah, don't do any of that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I wonder. Um, there's Shinpei Hayashi again. I, I I you have to just. I mean, look at how aggressive their um, approach to merchandising and branding Godzilla is right now, and you really have to wonder if they're just trying to make sure nobody can get <laughs> offended, or you know, basically making sure Godzilla can go down as smooth as possible for everybody. Yeah, I think it it just it sort of saddens me that the character that tackled most directly with the first film, Nuclear Armageddon, and everything about the the destruction of two cities in Japan by the atomic bombs, like it, we could use that story again right now, and like Toho just they don't want anything to do with it, and like we 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 desperately need that kind of storytelling today. Godzilla is making everyone crazy. <laughs> Always, Rat and he's ratcheting up international tensions. Uh, so a lot like the original Godzilla film, and and a lot of other foreign films that get released for Americans over time, and even Dragon Ball itself. There's in fact a unique American version, which we were kind of referencing earlier, um, and that's how I was. I, I think we all said that's how we were all sort of first exposed to this movie. But even without all of the major changes uh, that are present in that movie, there are some subtle edits to uh, the dialogue or shot composition in that movie. They give it a unique flavor, and uh, it's kind of like uh, the speech that Goku gives to Frieza on Namek when he's in his Super Saiyan form. Uh, in the original Japanese, Goku says something like, I am a Saiyan warrior who came from Earth. Uh, a warrior of rage, but with a calm heart. I am the legendary Super Saiyan God. Uh, but for the American version, they kind of oomphed it up a little bit and made him more of a, a paragon, like Superman, where he says, I am the hope of the universe, the answer to all living things that cry out for peace. 
I am the protector of the innocents, light in the darkness, ally to good, nightmare to you. Bullshit propaganda. Uh, <laughs> they're the same. They're essentially saying the same thing, but like the, the tone is, is so radically different in the Americanized version. Yeah, and that happens in this movie a lot. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've already seen like half a dozen things that are just totally way different in this version. And if you have the subtitles on, I mean, you can see that the 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 more political discussions are way more complex, way more nuanced. Yeah. Yes. Yes, the American uh, version is much more like, boy, these Soviets just want to shoot nukes at everything. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very propagandized. Uh, released in the United States theatrically on August 23rd, 1985, Godzilla 1985, which, as we've said, is the American version, uh, takes the 103 minutes of Return to, the Return of Godzilla, which is the Japanese version that we're watching now, uh, adds a few minutes of American actor Raymond Burr reprising his role from the Americanized version of the original Godzilla movie, uh, and then cuts the entire thing down to 87 minutes, which really messes with the pacing. Uh, meaning there's like a solid 20 to 30 minutes of original Japanese shot footage that just gets cut and we never see it. Uh, notably deleted are some, uh, some effect shots that vary in quality from just downright bad to actually really good and well done. Uh, and they're taken out for seemingly no reason. And any and all implications that America may have just may have been just as aggressively suggesting the use of nuclear force uh, in the Japanese version kind of gets uh, massaged a little bit in the American <laughs> version. Uh, but yeah, as, as like we said before, as, as, as we move through this movie, we'll point out some of the major uh, differences. And like I've said, it, even just the opening scene, totally, hugely different and much improved. I do think we had our first peek at <laughs> the new Godzilla Yes, we are. In, this, in a really this great. This sequence is awesome. This is yeah. an awesome sequence. This is like this is the first time uh, in any I like, Godzilla I like the movie. I like build up with the birds. And yeah. and yeah. this is the first time in any Godzilla movie you really see this top down sort of Godzilla's eye view of what the world kind of looks like. It's a really, really kind of inspired and unique and interesting shot. This is a good time to mention um, that uh, Teriyoshi Nakano, I mean, this is him making a Godzilla movie with the budget that he always wanted. And, I mean, this is the last movie he would be the special effects director for, but, I mean, what a way to go out. He said this was like his, I think, because his first one that he ever worked on was King Kong versus Godzilla, and I think... For him, that probably was his favorite. He often said, though, this was his second favorite uh, set to ever have been on. Well, I, I mean, being in his place, you know, making those 70s movies with, you know, five bucks and then being given what is still one of the most expensive Japanese Godzilla movies. I mean, I, I imagine this is just him doing so many shots and things that he probably always wanted to do and just wasn't able to. Yeah, he's got like the reverse story of um, Koichi Kawakita, right? Where <laughs> right. he starts with like no budget and then finally gets to do a real budget. And Kawakita, meanwhile, gets like his, hey, here's a bunch of money. Go do anything you want. And Godzilla versus Biollante has, you know, some of the most 
effects footage ever that was left on the cutting room floor because they were got to do a lot of stuff and got to experiment and and try things and uh and then by the end kawakito was like it was like hey here's like 20 bucks and uh 15 minutes go make some godzilla stuff and nakano you know he he just passed away so i mean uh, watching this now is you know it's a good celebration of just you know uh his work and even some of the some of the shots in here that we'll have to point out are stock footage from uh some other movies he worked on like uh submersion of japan and prophecies of nostradamus and um uh i mean i they're they're really great (laughs) which is why why they they blend into a movie like this made you know so much later yeah it's it's mind-blowing how good the effects on those two movies were that they're they're dropped into a movie 10 years later and unless you know what you're looking for you can't tell yeah um yeah, the American version sadly really kind of cuts this movie to ribbons in an effort to. Uh, I mean, I get you know American audiences need quicker pacing, and and this and the Japanese movie, you know, uh, it, it's a slow burn, and and the pacing isn't always great. But I will I will sacrifice fast pacing for a better movie any day, and um, you know the, the and and a lot of the things we'll talk about it when it happens, but a lot of the 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 undercurrents of the American version really kind of, you know, this side of Godzilla King of the Monsters, the night, the 2019 movie really kind of fuck up the whole thematic point of Godzilla in in, in several ways. And, uh, but uh, due to some of those changes uh, for the American version, Specifically, uh, parts of the score uh, being lifted from DEFCON 4, uh, Christopher Young, mu- putting music by Christopher Young for that movie into uh, uh, Godzilla 80- 1985. Uh, the, that's, that's kind of what's held up its home video rights. And if, if you've uh, heard anyone who works for... Um, you know, a home video label or something. Music. If if you want to know why something has never made the jump to D- DVD or even Blu-ray, sometimes it's usually music rights. Um. Uh. For for just just, just you really got to make sure you clear everything with every party involved with every aspect of the production and make sure anyone who needs to be getting paid is getting paid and especially with music that is put in especially uh uh music from other things sometimes that just leads to a dead end um and that that's where Godzilla 85 is now uh but um yeah it's caused some confusion because that's the version everyone grew up with and this is the version that is available now it's literally uh, it's a traded shot of places. Bird feeding on <laughs> internet cringe. <laughs> this is, uh, by the way, the oh. first time that Godzilla feeds on radiation. It doesn't yeah, happen. a lot of people think of Godzilla as a creature that's always um, consumed radiation, but that didn't come along until this movie. Um, I also uh, just want to say really quick, I love the big goofy head, especially when they do the close-ups. Yeah. We got well, yeah. some notes about that later on. <laughs> yeah, I know we um, do. <laughs> but yeah, the the American version uh, threw in another two to three million dollars, um, and uh, the box office taken here in the states was uh, a little over four 
Um, so theatrically, it, it really was kind of a, a dud. However, as as we've talked about, you know, renting this and seeing it, at, you know, video stores, um, the movie ended up being very profitable, um, but 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 due to home video rentals and and things like that, it ended up being one of New World's um, more profitable movies, but it, not theatrically. And it was the last uh, Japanese Godzilla movie to get a wide theatrical release here in the States until Godzilla 2000, which was 15 years later. Um, and that is still the, the last one to get a wide theatrical release. Shin Godzilla um, uh, got a limited run and did very well, but it, it was a limited run. Um, and, uh, you know, there's there's the stuff from uh, uh, Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers, but uh, those aren't. Those are American films. And here we have um, the, these characters talking about Godzilla being similar to birds. Almost 10 years before Jurassic Park sort of introduced the, the world to the concept that dinosaurs and birds were evolutionarily similar. Yeah. I mean, I think paleontology nerds knew that for sure. As far as pop culture, yeah, that uh, wasn't quite known. Right. Should, should we mention that uh, the the lead reporter Goro Maki is? Uh, there's three Goro Makis <laughs> in, <laughs> in Godzilla, the son of Godzilla, and then uh, there's a this Goro Maki, and then Shin Godzilla has a Goro Maki as well. And they are, it's. You know they're completely unrelated. It just happens to be a a name that's wildly popular with Godzilla directors in Japan for some reason. It's, it's always for a reporter, almost right? Yeah, that's that's wild. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Shin Godzilla one was uh, wasn't a reporter. The other two were, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. Here, oh, Hiroshi Koizumi just showed up. Yes, we another, like him. Another longtime Toho veteran. So tap for the score, and the score for this movie is awesome. By the way, this is one of the most unique Godzilla scores that there is. It's got a I love a, it a great atmospheric element to it. Um, it sounds like very few of the others because so many of those were done by Jun Fukuda or Akira Fukube. In the you mean Sato? You said Fukuda. Oh, did I? I I meant Sato instead of Fukuda. Why did I say? It's Fukuda? okay. I messed up a name earlier, but I won't say whose it was. So I have I have no COVID brain. It. That's that's but <laughs> but yes, Masaru Sato did you know a lot of the '60s and '70s Godzilla movies that were fun and poppy, and Fukube did a lot of the more serious entries, and. You know, here comes uh, Kuroku doing a more serious entry, and his his compositions are just so different from Ifuku Bay's. Uh, they they have just a a less militaristic feel. They're less bombastic, and 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 I don't want to say Ifuku Bay's music is necessarily upbeat, but you know they have that sort of you can march to them kind of thing to it. Whereas this is more. I don't, I don't know, more symphonic. Uh, I, I don't know a ton about music. It's moody. It's, it's yeah, moody. Moody yeah. and atmospheric. Uh, Kuroku, for his part, he was a child of the 40s and 50s. He was born, you know, a couple years after World War II ended. And he grew up in a Japan that was being rebuilt and concerned about 
he was often concerned about where his next meal was going to come from. He grew up fairly poor, but he was interested in music, specifically symphonic music from when he first heard it, because it was an escape from his life. He was ultimately a student of Koichi Sugiyama, who Dragon Ball fans might know, because he's uh, the composer of the Dragon Quest video games, which Toriyama did the character designs for. Sugiyama is one of the more prolific composers in Japan, having scored Godzilla movies and Ultraman shows and Gachaman and the Dragon Quest games. And he's also a complicated, arguably outright bad person who was a World War II atrocity denier and a promoter of Japanese nationalism. But fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but Kuroku... Based on the interview I saw with him on uh, Kaiju Masterclass, which I'll I'll plug a little bit again in in a moment here, did not seem uh, to necessarily espouse his uh, senpai's viewpoints as much as just uh, take after him uh, musically. And uh, Kuroku, for his part, though, wound, wound up doing a bunch of video games also, but he worked mostly in television. And The Return of Godzilla is his lonely sort of theatrical film credit. Uh, If you want to learn more about this guy, the online kaiju convention, Kaiju Masterclass, did a full 90-minute interview with him. It was his first and, to date, only ever English-language interview. It covered his career from his short credit on a gritty depiction of the 19... or of of the atomic bombings called Picadon, through what he's doing as of, you know, late 2021. It's a really comprehensive interview and and, and peek into who this guy was, his philosophy when it came to scoring movies and uh, and his his career. So you can find that on YouTube by looking for Kaiju Masterclass. Do it. Did you uh, did you mention um what Ifukube said when he declined uh the offer to score this was this the one or was it the next one where he said like you can do it as long as you don't use any uh that that was uh that, that was, was biolanti yeah and they were like if as long as you don't like mess with the my music it's fine and then and then they just went insane and the electric did, guitar like, solo. Yeah, electric <laughs> guitar version. And he was like, for the love of God, I'll just come back. And, it's uh, the most it 80s either... thing, 80s guitar solo for a Godzilla film. I mean, like, you can just, it's. Yeah, it, it, it was either his daughter or his granddaughter that was like, what? just do it, because they're going to use your music anyway. And he was like, fine. But uh, his his response to getting offered this was very bizarre, um, because I guess he, he they had told him, um, oh, pay, pay. I, I know I'm talking about something completely different, for, but for those watching at home, uh, like I said, pay very close attention to the prime minister in this scene um, with, with where he's literally sitting between and the, the shot American... compositions. Yes. Oh, the shot composition is fantastic. Right, right here. here it, this it, it, this part right here is completely edited out of the American version where you've got his the side of his face and you could hear one ear or you see one ear and you've got the American talking and then flip reverse shot and it's the Soviet talking and this is a really spectacular direction by Hashimoto and this is completely wiped out. Not completely completely but it's wiped out of the uh, American version of the movie. And I think it's such a brilliant shot composition of just that, that 
Americans in one ear, Soviets in the other ear. Americans on one yeah, side, and, Soviets and, on and, the other um, side. I mean, the the look on the, on his face just says everything. He's he's literally just listening to these two superpowers yell about how nuclear weapons are the only solution, and he's just got this. And and not just that nuclear weapons are the only solution, but you have to let us drop a nuke on Japan. Yeah, yeah, and he just where Godzilla this, is like, like what? Yeah, he just has this. Like Jesus Christ, I can't even <laughs> <laughs> look on his face. Uh, yeah, there, yeah, there it is again. Yeah. Um, like, like I said, very understated performance, but but brilliant acting. But yes, anyway, I, I guess somehow uh, they had told Ifukube that Godzilla was his size would be eighty meters in this because you know buildings. In Japan, gotten bigger, and and his his response was, uh, "I write music. I don't write music for eighty tall meter monsters." <laughs> Very bizarre. <laughs> it's kind of an awesome quote, though. That's that's oddly specific. <laughs> also, this this scene is entirely excised. I was going to say this is a scene that I have not seen yet. Yeah, yeah it's and, like... and it's all about just the very the Japanese perspective of. We cannot allow a nuke on Japanese soil again, ever. You know, we can't allow one to go off. We can't, like, it just can't happen. It, this scene. It, it really, yeah, go ahead. This, this little scene here accomplishes what Shin Godzilla more or less spends the entire movie doing. Uh which is showing the the Japanese kind of have this this inner discussion about the the optics of this situation. I think what ends up happening in the American version is the the prime minister loses all agency that he has in this film, which I think is is the that in the Japanese perspective on the bombings, that's definitely the biggest casualty of of the the revamp. Where I think some of the decisions on the American version are better, they do cut, and we kind of mentioned it, but there are some effects in this that are not super great. I think cutting those was actually a good decision. And I am personally a proponent of the tighter pacing, but I fully admit, that being my first Godzilla film, I probably do have the uh, nostalgia goggles i'm all for probably the, i'm all for the tighter pacing in general as well but i think taking it out of this specifically there's there's a lot taken out a little bit earlier in the movie that you know like like bikini mentioned you know oh this this went a lot faster and that went a lot faster and and yeah that that might be a little like feel a little rushed in the american version but i i kind of prefer that this all of this stuff in here with the prime minister really weighing the balance of power, the the uh, the effects of allowing nuclear weapons, the effects of not allowing nuclear weapons to be used, you know, where he's talking about um, or he's getting advice from his advisor saying we could be left alone diplomatically. We could be ostracized by the Soviets and the Americans, you know. We could be sort of adrift between these two superpowers. Uh, 
and and then him getting in front of these ambassadors and saying, if you want to call it egotistical, so be it. But I'm not going to let you nuke my people. Well, he he losing all of this is a shame. Well, he and he mentions Japan's three nuclear uh, uh, principles, which are do not make nuclear weapons, do not possess them and do not allow them into the country. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, what you what you get with the faster pacing of the original, um, you kind of sacrifice. This is edited out completely. The U.S. Nuclear... Oh yeah, there was there was no U.S. nukes in the American version. You 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 sacrifice the uh, the heart and soul of the movie. Yeah, right, like cause... the 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 you 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 legitimately lose the soul of this movie. Yeah, and and this is another great scene where he says. How did you address the American and uh, Soviet leaders? And he says, uh, if it, if you were in my spot and you had two countries basically screaming at you to drop nukes on your people, what would you do? And I think I think this is the most powerful movie in the in the film, actually, a powerful moment in the film. It's at least for him, like the the, the sense of dread and decision that he has to make facing the fact that godzilla is going to attack his country and still having to stick to his guns and convince two nuclear powers to leave him alone like that that sense of tension is just all over his face his performance too just the minor little shakes that he kind of gives himself you know in that moment is is excellent absolutely excellent stuff he's masterfully selling just the level of of tension and stress yeah Oh, this poor bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll get there. I want to talk about real quick. um, So something that is really common with Toho films, they they basically employed a two-director approach in The Return of Godzilla, which means uh, Koji Hashimoto filmed all the human sequences, and Teriyoshi Nakano basically shot all the special effects and Godzilla sequences. And the two shoots were happening at the same time, basically divorced from one another. Um, And so a brief note on Nakano, he was born in 1935 in Andong, Manchuoko, and I'm going to, I'm butchering these names, so I apologize in advance, uh, which is now actually in China in a city called uh, Liaoning. And his father actually worked on the Manchuria Railway, and his childhood was basically one of privilege and wealth. Um, He first came to Japan at the age of 10 following the end of World War II, and he was separated from his father, who was actually imprisoned as a prisoner of war, a POW. Um, and to escape the newfound hardship, he actually went to theaters often and he was just really impassioned with cinema. Um, he received his degree in film and he actually began working at Toho in 1959, uh, the same year that he graduated. And he worked as an assistant director in the 1960s. Uh, he found um, the prospect of, dire- of a, being a director, having to convey his ideas to actors uh, who would then interpret them and provide their interpretations back to the director to be really frustrating, just, in, just like the concept of it. But he loved visual uh, storytelling through effects, and he found that way more compelling. And so before long, he actually was singled out by the great uh, Eji Tsuburaya, uh, Toho's master of special effects. And uh, Tsuburaya worked on the original Godzilla film, Ultraman, did a, a ton of special effects for the first, uh, the Showa era of Godzilla films. And he became basically uh, a mentee to Tsuburaya. Um, and then 1969, he actually found himself in the director's chair for special effects because uh, under Tsuburaya's supervision for a film called the crazy bill uh crazy big explosion 
Um, and if you're familiar with Nakano's work, uh, it's an extremely fitting title. The guy is <laughs> himself. Like everything, like if you ever watched Terror Mecha Godzilla, the explosions are the size of Godzilla himself in that movie, and it's glorious. The number of um, times he lit the Godzilla suit on fire over the years. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, with Subarai in and out of the hospital in 19, in, in and out of the hospital in 1969 and 1970, Nakano actually found himself kind of thrust more into uh, completing the, his his mentors films. And uh, unfortunately, Subarai passed away in 1970. So once that happened, Nakano actually was able to become the new lead of Toho's special effects department. Um, probably his crowning achievements in terms of his special effects work, Submersion of Japan uh, from 1973, which we've talked about briefly. Uh, prophecies of Nostradamus from 1974, and we we mentioned, but like f- uh, sequences from those films actually appear in um, other in t- other Toho films, and decades later in some cases. So that's how good his special effects work uh, was, and of course we're going to see some of those very effect scenes in the film we're watching today. Yeah, Nakano was a dog. <laughs> he just. He loved to blow stuff up. It was so, you know, not only um, Terror of Mechagodzilla, but even the original Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, the 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 oil refinery sequence in that. If you watch even just that part of the movie, you're like, someone had to have had their skin burned off during this shoot, right? Like, because <laughs> it's it's not it's not a good special effect until somebody almost dies trying to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's, insane. There's a, I'm surprised like there was anything left of the set after <laughs> after some of the movies that he made. I remember um <clears throat> I went I I've been to two conventions that Nakano made a a guest appearance at and I I just remember during one of the Q&As, I don't know, someone asked him something about pyrotechnics or something and he was like it's really not that hard you just gotta grab like a fire extinguisher and hook up all this stuff and it was he was basically like telling us how to make a bomb <laughs> which is amazing <laughs> <laughs> ah there it is the goofy head so godzilla was redesigned for this movie as is common for godzilla movies in general he gets redesigns all the time uh and he was like we said before he's resized from 50 meters to 80 meters uh, so that he would not be dwarfed by the newer, taller skyline of the more modern Tokyo of the 80s. Suit construction took two months and was built around casts of stuntman Hiroshi Yamawaki, uh, who dropped out shortly before production began and was replaced by veteran Godzilla suit actor Ken Satsuma, uh, who had previously played Hidora and Gigan in earlier Godzilla movies. Uh, obviously, the suit was not built to his measurements, and so it was bulky. Uh, and it also weighed 240 pounds, and it wasn't really well distributed on his frame. So he could typically only do about 10 minutes before he had to be pulled out of the suit. Uh, he also asked for a couple of modifications. Uh, this really gross one is he wanted holes to be drilled into the tips of Godzilla's fingers uh, so he would be able to have somewhere for his sweat to pour out. Ew. That's disgusting. He also, uh, at one point, like got loaded into the suit and was supposed to be like a front shot. So they didn't want to close him in. And he was like, no, close me in because you're going to be like blasting pyrotechnics at me. And they're like, no, we were like, whatever. And he's like, okay. (laughs) And they, 
they didn't close him in and the explosions like wound up popping all around him and ended up throwing metal debris into the back of the suit where you get loaded in from and then he was stepping on metal debris inside the suit and having it like tear his feet apart ah uh, so, inspired by the publicity surrounding the 40-foot-tall Kong robot from 1976 King Kong film, uh, which is a whole other debacle, uh, Toho spent almost $500,000 building a nearly 20-foot-tall robotic Godzilla, dubbed the Cybot, which was used for the close-ups of the creature's head. I love the Cybot. It's so it's it's so goofy looking. Uh, the Cybot was a hydraulically powered metal skeleton uh, covered in urethane skin, which utilized computers and animatronics to tilt the head, move the lips and the arms. Uh, doesn't really match the look of the suit itself, and it tends to stick out as as I pointed out, like when we're doing close ups versus long shots. It's a cool looking thing, though. It definitely. I I enjoy it. I mean, obviously, you know, looking from modern day aesthetics, considering the first time I saw this movie was literally yesterday. Um, it it looks a little goofy, but I could absolutely see how in the eighties this would have looked fantastic. I like the uh, how uh, the snout moves on the side yeah. this guy on fire is from uh submergent of japan i think i was gonna say when i when i saw that yesterday it looked like he was green screened in for some reason yeah that that's a movie from almost 10 years before this uh that, that shot is from i love uh this is like one of the few godzilla films by the way where godzilla like vaporizes people and you see it very directly so here and, we have one of the biggest like, Biggest yeah, changes. yeah, we we got to talk about this. Uh, this yeah, poor, I, this I, poor I knew guy. this was coming. So in in the version we're watching here, this this character is going. I have to stop this because Godzilla's attack causes the the controls for the bomb to accidentally start a countdown to automatically launch the weapon, and he is you know. This this Soviet guy gets battered and thrown around and he gets his head hit and he gets knocked unconscious and he wakes up and he's like, I have to stop it. I'm the only one who could stop it. I'm the only one left alive. Please let me find the strength to stop it. And as he's going to stop the countdown, his uh, <laughs> the, the, the electrical whatever shorts out and he gets blown up and he dies. And a countdown is now on and it's just running uh, until the, the nuclear weapon launches on its own. In the American version, this guy gets up and he's like, I'm the only one who can launch the missile. I have to do it. And they show him crawl into the room and then it cuts to a scene that isn't super obviously inserted, again, unless you know that you're looking for it, of a finger reaching up and pushing a button that then starts the countdown (laughs) clock. And so it's him because he's a Soviet launching the missile. And here's another uh, effect sequence. This is from prophecies of Nostradamus right here. Yeah. The, the uh, chain reaction of the cars blowing up, which is great. I love this. Uh, Yeah. That's, this is stock footage. I I uh, miss old practical effects like this. I know. Right. And, and right before talking about that incredible uh, chain reaction of explosions, I I was going to say, I mean, just let's take a moment to just relish this set. Uh, I love this, too. I love uh, Godzilla vs. Uh, King Ghidorah has a moment like this. Godzilla vs. The Thing has a, a moment like this. But I love when Godzilla looks is, is shown as just being so big and out of his element that he's clumsy. 
and he yes. falls and knocks over things. But yes, yeah, so this this uh, set is just incredible, um, and uh, it's it's easily one of my favorites of any of the Godzilla movies. Yeah, they uh, they they. they... <laughs> I love. We have I, a very I, bizarre cameo coming up. Yes, <laughs> yes. I was say, this part's awesome. This is. Um, we're going to get a cameo from Hiroshi Komayatsu, who was nicknamed Monsieur in Japan, and he's a singer, guitarist, and a couple different Japanese rock. There he is, <laughs> and he just yeah, has a, a cameo. He's like dressed like a priest, and he he looks happy about. Whatever's happening. This little shot right here is edited out of the Japanese or the American version. I think it's an awesome That's a crime. It's a great shot too. And it was it was intended. The reason they put that shot in was as a tribute to uh, Yuji Kaida. And yeah, and, the uh, he it, for kaiju fans, he's a very famous uh, poster artist who does a lot of great stuff. Um, what what's uh, even weirder about um, Kamiyatsu's cameo that we just saw that so he's dressed like a priest um and that is uh because around the time this movie came out um he played a uh a, a, a uh, he he started in a, a TV show where he played uh, a teacher who dressed like a priest and that that's kind of him him as that character in that scene, which makes it even weirder. And I, I'd imagine for <laughs> Japanese audiences seeing this in 1984, it must have been as jarring as like, you know, when you're watching Scream 3 and Jay and Silent Bob show up out of nowhere. <laughs> I was going to say, it'd be like, it'd be like watching a Godzilla movie now and having, I, I don't know, like She-Hulk pop in for, you know, like... <laughs> you'd be like, what the hell was that? <laughs> Uh, Mer- merchandising that's what that was yeah so this was actually the the second Godzilla movie ever to be recorded in stereo sound actually uh, King Kong versus Godzilla was the first it's kind of an interesting little fun fact for you it's wild um, to think yeah speaking of um the cast, like uh, uh, Keiju Kobayashi, um, who plays the prime minister, uh, he's in a, a couple movies. If you want to see more of him, uh, he's in um, some of uh, Kihachi Okamoto's movies. Uh, the two that I really like are Battle of Okinawa and um, Japan's Longest Day. Um, Japan's Longest Day is about um, basically a, a group of Japanese military that people that um basically are refuse to accept japan's surrender and they basically throw an insurrection and break into the government building for um, us americans after january 6th that movie uh hits different (laughs) (laughs) um i don't i don't know if we mentioned uh yoshifumi tajima but um he's another Showa era Toho actor that that pops up. Um, he was the villain in uh, uh, Mothra versus Godzilla. Um, Here's a great character. That this yeah. guy's this guy's the hero of the movie. I, I, and this is another uh, kind of cameo. This was a um, 
uh, he was a comedic actor in Japan, and here he is. Yeah, Tetsuya Takeda. Um, he had like a thirty-year role on a show called Kinpachi Sensei as and and as like the main character, and I like his lines just a tick better in the American version. Um, you get more of them in this one, though. I know, but it, I, I just something about his lines, you know, like. I get like you're just an out of towner, but I I like when he don't act like such a big shot. You just got the town, like that's a that's a really good line. I really like later on when he or is it earlier in this when he says like ah Tokyo in August, welcome Godzilla. Like that's a great <laughs> yeah, line. <yeah. laughs> um, and then like later on in the movie, he has a line where he's like, "Let's do lunch sometime," and and I don't think that line is the same in in the Japanese version. I'll admit those scenes are a bit weird in a movie that's so serious, but I, I don't care. I love them. I like a little bit of comedic kind of break the tension. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's levity that is probably needed at this point. Cause like I said, even as someone that really, really likes this movie, I mean, it is, it is fairly dry. But Godzilla's like, what do you, what <laughs> now this this is based off of uh an earlier script of the movie that had that had more in common with the 1954 version about like a a, a secret weapon that would take Godzilla down and there was going to be a similar you know professor who creates the weapon has to sacrifice himself type of moment and the the idea of this homing beacon is kind of a, a remnant of that earlier version of the script of like a secret weapon that is that is used against Godzilla. It's a common theme in Godzilla as the enemy kind of movies because the whole point of Godzilla really is that conventional weapons can't bring him down. So there has to be some sort of a unique uh, sci-fi type of experimental thing mankind outthinking the creature or whatever to 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 take the monster down because you can't just shoot a bunch of bombs at it and that's one of the key ways in which a lot of japanese takes on godzilla differ from a lot of american takes on it because we ultimately feel like our military firepower can defeat anything so uh we you know you see that even in the MonsterVerse movies, which which are more faithful to the Japanese idea of Godzilla being stronger and more built like a brick house, brick house and like a tank and everything, that a lot of the, the military firepower does at least affect him more in those movies than it does in any of the Japanese movies. And so, some of that, I'm sure, is just a convention of the the suits, right? Cuz the suits don't obviously react to bullets the way like a you can get a CG creation to do, but uh it is just an interesting well, let's not forget that uh you know, the military has a very heavy hand in how they're portrayed and yeah, that's Hollywood. yes. Obviously. Also true. 
We've we've talked a little bit already about prop the propaganda machine, right? So yeah, the Super X, the first of three. Yes, the Super X would wind up reappearing in the sequel to this movie, Godzilla vs. Biollante, as a, as more of just a traditional what what they would call in Japan a mech, uh, just a. a like more of a robot there was no human component to it and then it re reappears in the the final film of the heisei era godzilla versus destroyer and it has a very different design it's more of a plane the super x3 i think we just saw some more submersion of japan footage there which uh again uh, i i would say people that like this should check out the japanese version specifically of that movie what's cool about those movies is you get to see the destruction scenes but they aren't making you know a you know franchise thing to sell toys so like you know submersion of japan you see people with like giant panes of glass like stuck in their heads and (laughs) pretty sweet neat I like the Super X theme music. Yeah, yeah, that, that's 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 another like very recognizable theme. The Super X, uh, Super X theme. And yeah, this is the first movie we've talked about it already. But this is the first movie that not only treats uh, that only not only shows Godzilla feeding on nuclear radiation, but like treats the creature himself like a n- living nuclear reactor. You know they're 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 firing cadmium laced missiles into his mouth to try to stop his nuclear reactor heart. Just a it's, quick shout out to the gunner. This guy's a hell of a shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's it's the first Godzilla movie to to take a lot of these concepts that people really consider to be part of the character now. And what is this like the sixteenth? Godzilla movie? Yeah, right. And we still haven't officially gotten to Godzilla being like a a mutant yet in in Toho movies, you know? Um Yeah, that'll come uh that's two movies later. Granted Hayashida says this part of his brain is what is bird like but mutated, but uh they don't they don't quite push it to that point of he was a, a mutant dinosaur yet. They still are holding to that. What what people don't don't really always realize is that Godzilla started as just he was irradiated. He was awoken by nuclear energy, but he wasn't originally thought of as being mutated by it or or changed by it. He was just a hundred fifty foot tall dinosaur that got radiation poisoning essentially should mention that this was uh one of shinji higuchi's very first jobs as a production assistant he was also one on um sayonara jupiter but he uh, co-directed shin godzilla and he did the amazing uh effects direction on the gamera trilogy um uh there's some cool behind the scenes photos also um for this movie that you should be able to find pretty easily on Google if you ever want to see more of the sets and the crew. There's pictures of Rick Baker. Rick Baker, uh, the great Rick Baker, visited the uh, 
the set one day. So you had King Kong visiting the Godzilla set. Nice. Throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, I, there was a there was a lot of the the special effects artists of America and Japan and, and I'm sure London or England I don't want to say London specific but like England and Italy and ev- you know ever like all visiting each other to try to sort of teach each other and learn from each other all the like little tricks of the trade you know and so. <clears throat> During yeah, those... even into even uh into the nineties, I know Patrick Tatopoulos, um, who uh, uh, designed the ninety eight Godzilla. He um he was he visited the Gamera three set uh, in 1999. That was after he even the Godzilla movie came. Right, so they were just trying to learn from each other all the time back then. I mean, sure, I'm sure. Subaraya was a uh, 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 new um. Uh, George Pal, you know, and him and George Pal would would get together. And this is an interesting one too. Where um, do they say in the Japanese version, like the the missile got launched accidentally or something? But in the American version, they're like a you know yeah. a rogue nuclear missile or something like. Just and like, uh, uh, and uh, no no offense to Raymond Burr because I like Raymond Burr and I think in the eighty five version I think he's quite good. Um, he has a really great ending monologue that is is really good. But um, he, uh, I mean, as much as I like him and that character, like nothing in the extra footage adds anything. It's it's not as know, well it's done it, it, as. It's not as well done as the original, the 54 film. Not where, at all. Um, where I, I think probably the, the only downside I would say to the, the Japanese version as opposed to the American version is there's that one. I'll just call him a moron, but he's the guy that's in the Pentagon who's who's uh, working alongside like the general and alongside uh, Burr. And he's like has no frame of reference for Godzilla at all. But he'll be like, right. oh, yeah, we kicked that lizard's ass. Yeah. And of course, the, 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 all the American footage is like all about Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a big like ad campaign at the time. Oh, yeah. Dr. Pepper and had the, Godzilla commercials and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Those commercials are they're pretty fun. They're on YouTube. But yeah, the, <laughs> it's everywhere. And uh, yeah, I mean, you could de- delete any of those American created characters and the movie would be the same. <laughs> yeah that's the in the in the 54 original film for anyone who's never seen it out there the 56 version 1956 king godzilla king of the monsters which inserted raymond burr did it in a much more narrative way it had him sort of following the characters of the film around and being a reporter and used a lot of really kind of unique little tricks, uh, body doubles and stand-ins and things like that to try to make it look like he was actually involved and, and part of the movie and part of the plot. And in the, the 1985 version of this film, really they just insert Raymond Burr in the Pentagon, just watching all of this from America on computer screen or TV screens. You know, it's it's really just a bunch of characters just 
telling us about the, the things that we are seeing happening and giving us like the American military perspective just to then also have the, the one thing I do like about it then is it, it then also has at least Raymond Burr sort of throwing the American military arrogance back in their faces. You know, he constantly says tanks, bombs, missiles, these have all been tried before and just because you've got bigger tanks and bigger bombs and better missiles doesn't mean it's going to work this time. And, you know, that stuff's all pretty good. But, yeah, you could take it all out and it's it it doesn't impact or or change the actual plot of that version of the movie, really. Um, you know, we didn't mention uh, Yasuko Sawaguchi as uh, Naoko here. Um, the the young uh, lady here. Um, <clears throat> she was uh, not really an experienced actress. Um, she won a Toho, won a Toho Star Search contest. Yeah, I think they called it like the Cinderella Search or something like that. Yeah, and that was it, you know she was up and coming, and um, apparently she uh, they they had to work very hard with her to try and uh, have her hide her uh, Kansai accent, which of course we wouldn't know as Americans. Uh, very well but i'm sure yeah, people I don't know. watching this movie in japan could probably you know maybe she slips up in her accent or something yeah I, and I don't... shin takuma here uh playing um okamura who's being uh brought through the window here he would show up later in uh, godzilla against mechagodzilla as the uh um the middle the the midlife crisis scientist that guy's awesome did you know those were the same actor? I don't think I did. Yeah, yeah, I love if, Sugar if, yeah, Daddy Scientist. Next time you get a good look at his face, you can tell. I, but yeah, I mean, this is like you know, nearly almost twenty years before the the Mechagodzilla movie. So yeah, he's he's a lot younger in this. I love Sugar Daddy Scientists from Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, Godzilla. He, yeah. Sugar Daddy Scientist. Yeah, the 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 guy playing Okamura is Sugar Daddy Scientist. This has been, yeah, this has been in when he was uh, a, a strapping young lad. I'm sure we have friends out there who heard me admit I didn't know it was the same uh, actor that, that are probably very disappointed in me. <laughs> that you don't remember things. Yeah, but yes, looking at his face, yeah, you, could, see you him? can tell. Yep, yep, yeah. This is a... A pretty interesting scene because the whole conflict here is that the, the, there's too much turbulence for them to, uh, you know, get in and out of the helicopter safely. Which, if you've ever been, you know, on top of or outside on like a like a tall building, the the winds change completely. Uh, yeah. you, it could be completely calm on the ground and up near these tall buildings, you know, the wind could be whipping. It could be whipping in different directions. Um, if you've ever like worked in a in a tall skyscraper building uh, on a windy day, the, the the toilet water will be swishing around in the in the bowls a lot of yeah. times. I mean, it it it's a it's an actual interesting kind of problem that that they came <laughs> yeah. up with and um 
I don't. I wonder how much of it was influenced by they did like employ some actual scientists and engineers and things on this movie to sort of give them ideas of like how buildings this size would actually collapse if they were to to collapse. So they they put them to good use, unlike the scientists they hired for Rampage. I was going to say because like. A lot of like the writing for this movie is really internally consistent in a lot of ways, and I'm just really happy that they put in the effort to make sure these types of things were accurate, just for consistency's sake. Yeah, and and yes, it's it is not the way they they made Rampage, where they hired a bunch of scientists and said, "What would happen if we gave an alligator fake growth hormone or whatever?" and then just made a monster anyway. <laughs> uh, I think coming up relatively soon when Godzilla like awakens is the Toriyama cameo. I've seen screenshots of the, the moment itself, but I haven't noticed it just yet in, in the thing. He's, he's just an extra running away from Godzilla It'd be hilarious uh, if the whole reason you did this is because he has a a cameo and you you can't even point it out on a a commentary. Actually, that would be pretty on brand for us. It'd be pretty on brand for Toriyama, too, to be like, (laughs) to, to like do the cameo and be in it and everything, but also to never really show his face because... You know, we've we've talked about it, Bird. You you probably haven't heard this necessarily, but the dude is a, a major major hermit. He like this movie actually is one of the last times for like thirty years that he would appear in front of a camera at all. He just doesn't like to. He wants to be as unrecognized as possible. He's like talked multiple times about how. He would move out even further into the country and just live in like a hermit hut by himself if he could, because he still occasionally gets recognized by people. That's awesome. I can respect that. I can absolutely respect that. I know. He's, I figured you, you'd like that. He's a kindred spirit. <laughs> what a great acting moment right here by the, by the prime minister too, you know, the, the tension and the relief. Yeah. I was about to see literally watch the relief wash over him. And then really cool, uh, matte paintings here with the sky. I miss matte paintings. I miss, I was going to say, I miss, uh, um, cause I mean, not, not so much here. Cause yeah, it's a matte painting, but when you, when you, like right here, you know, that's actually lit. <laughs> There's lighting <laughs> people that are lighting the, lighting the actors with red lights. You know, nowadays it would just be, we'll throw some crap filter over it. Yeah. This is where this character is explaining to this to us in the American version uh, that the, the goofy Dr. Pepper guy explains to us that you get power outages from the EMP of a radioactive of a radioactive blast um and then Raymond Burr kind of sets him in his place with a son 
when I was a kid. <laughs> nuclear bombs went off all the time. <laughs> you know, on the, on, on the subject of uh, nuclear um, nuclear bombs and, and stuff, to, to bring it back to reality a little bit, um, for people that are familiar with my podcast, um, uh, one thing that we've talked about a few times uh, with... Uh, Shin Godzilla is um, the movie that that movie you know it's very much engineered to kind of inspire a sense of uh, pride in 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 Japanese and and you know kind of making Japan look here he is he's in one of these he's one of those people oh we, we, <laughs> blocked him. we missed him I guess yes our tenuous reference is intact um <laughs> Uh, but I'm yeah, so with, with, with Shin Godzilla, you know, it, it was a movie that um, really put a lot of emphasis on uh, Japan handling its problems and uh, and and things like that. And a lot of it is in reaction to the Fukushima disaster with um, what happened there. And, you know, a lot of the oversights by the previous government administration uh that caused Fukushima to begin with and um so the the movie is is you know really slamming the previous administration um for how that was handled and how the relief was handled and and things like that and rightfully so it was absolutely disastrous however um as Matt and I have talked about um in our Shin Godzilla discussions on kaiju transmissions uh there's more than enough blame to go around and uh, a lot of that uh, blame falls on TEPCO, um, the the energy company that, I mean, if you want to know more about Fukushima and what led to it, there's plenty of resources. But essentially, um, they knew that what happened, what, what ended up happening could end up happening and basically didn't do anything. And uh, one of my things with Shin Godzilla is being a legitimate criticism of, I guess, the 311 incident is that it never bothers to hold TEPCO, the corporation responsible, you know, the lack of preparation by TEPCO and basically the failings of, uh, you know, the the capitalist trust in the government and, and capitalist trust in this corporation is what caused that disaster. And Shin Godzilla kind of doesn't acknowledge that piece of it and, and because it's saying, you know, trying to make Japan look good, basically. It's, it's, it's things that we do with our movies. This movie is also guilty of that, um, uh, you know, Japan had a very reasonable anxiety uh, then, as they do now, um, and then it was being very much literally stuck in the middle of the Cold War and just the constant nuclear threat. Um, and, uh, but, but, um, despite that, uh, to bring it into reality a little bit, I have a passage here from a Time Magazine article from 1981, uh, June 8th, 1981, and I, I'm just going to read it instead of uh, stammering over my own uh, uh, version of it. Um, Since the 1950s, Japan's liberal democratic government has solemnly and repeatedly affirmed three basic principles about nuclear weapons, not to make them, possess them, or allow them into the country. 
In the 1960s, with the signing of the U.S.-Japan Security Treaty, Washington agreed not to introduce nuclear weapons into Japan. However, two weeks ago, again, two weeks ago in 1981, former U.S. Ambassador to Japan Edwin Reischauer revealed that the two countries have ever since been living a convenient lie. In an interview with Tokyo's Minichi Shimbum, Reischauer asserted that U.S. naval vessels carrying nuclear weapons who've routinely visited Japanese ports with Tokyo's tacit approval. Um, so for this movie with these guys, you know, basically, oh, you know, the, the Soviets had nu- nukes on our shores? No. How could they? In real life, <laughs> Japan <laughs> yeah. was allowing nuclear weapons in their in their waters Interesting. Uh, for a long time. So, uh, again, that, that's just how uh, that's just the spin that, uh, you know, this movie and, and, you know, Shin Godzilla, you know, they're 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 not re- necessarily <laughs> rooted in reality as far as uh, some of that perspective goes and. And just like Americans, you know, they may uh, sweep over some of the narrative to make make things look a little bit better than they are. So there's that. Yeah, and, uh, and to to bring us to a uh, a, a kind of interesting sort of parallel between Godzilla and Dragon Ball. As as the movie itself here is winding down a little bit, um, G- Godzilla nineteen eighty four comes out, and yes, the original series in in Dragon Ball is still still running. You know the the Dragon Ball portion of Dragon Ball, but as this movie sort of kicks off, what would be Godzilla's more serious, darker storytelling and and it's it's heisei the heisei era dragon ball does kind of do the same um granted it's it's a few years later it's 1989 but that is when the sequel to this movie ultimately comes out um dragon ball becomes what ultimately is known as dragon ball z and oh here are these these poor super x2 operators awesome. <laughs> um, this wasn't in the script. The special effects guys thought of this as a uh, how how to destroy the super X. Godspeed. I always felt pretty bad man. for those guys. <laughs> yeah, same. that's a pretty rough way to go. Um, what a great shot right there, by the way. Uh, Godzilla mm-hmm. all, you know, lit in red. Yes, like like Bird said, with lighting actually. Um, Instead of just throwing like a red filter over the whole movie, um, but yeah, as as Godzilla sort of shifts towards being more serious and darker and 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 kind of taking itself more seriously and reinventing itself, so does so does Dragon Ball. Uh, this is when the Z portion starts, which is sort of uh, I don't want to say abandoning because it still has a lot of the humor and a lot of the fun and a lot of the brightness, but it shifts. You know, we've talked about Dragon Ball having shifts a lot already. You know, the first shift was away from it being like a, a journey sort of 
joke gag manga into being a more battle focused and then it shifted from being this tournament thing to being uh the, the red ribbon army and then it kind of shifts towards being more western culture inspired and stuff like that and shifts again obviously when when the z portion starts and it makes goku encounter these world ending serious threats all the time if you ever were watching the original you know run of dragon ball and, and said i want to see goku get every single bone in his body broken more often maybe every episode than than the z portion is for you <laughs> because that's that's sort of an interesting just kind of the the two franchises hit that slightly more serious slightly more adult oriented i would even argue really more like teen oriented storytelling at at the same time kind of they hit their stride with that and appealing to uh an older audience right while still maintaining an appeal for kids as well i wonder if wonder if there was maybe some cultural reasons for that All these shots here in in this moment with um, the giant foot prop that we see throughout here are all cut out of the American version. I don't really get that. I think it's a cool prop. It was too good. Not enough Dr. <laughs> Pepper uh, jokes. There you go. They couldn't fight. They couldn't figure out where to put the can. <laughs> That is quite. It's, uh, <laughs> I guess it's not. It, I mean, it, it's hardly new, even in 1984, for a Godzilla, for Godzilla movies to do this. But they just introduce this element of uh, he follows birds, and it, it that's actually how they defeat him here. But it's just never brought up again. Ever. <laughs> Godzilla movies do stuff like that, though. I, you know, he turns into a giant magnet for some reason, and Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. I wonder if there's there's any other examples of of media that some of the hosts on the show might be familiar with that just forget aspects of the story for no reason. <laughs> like maybe a maybe a a character from Planet Namek forgets that he can grow would, giant until forty or, years later, or, or maybe <laughs> or maybe a character from Earth that just disappears after a certain part in the show and just is never <laughs> talked about again. <laughs> well, she Lon shows up like once, I think, during the cell saga of being drunk at a bar, if I remember. So right. is Earth? Uh, so is Earth like a a thing in Dragon Ball? Is that? Yeah, it's a fictionalized version. It's uh, fictionalized. Fictionalized in that it makes Frieza the bad guy. <laughs> it 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 follows this uh, this. Chinese sort of storytelling called uh, Wuxia, which like has uh, characters appearing in what's essentially China without ever calling it China. Um, And then a lot of the other tropes of Dragon Ball are in it, but um, that's it. Yeah, Dragon Ball takes place on Earth, but but a, a a much more bird. I've argued this on our show before a much more Ashiro Honda esque earth where like there's one earth government. And um, although it is the president of earth is a dog. Um, 
which dogs really are just better than humans. So it, it makes sense. That's fair. But yeah, it's just like one Earth government, one Earth people. They approach problems as a society of humans on Earth and not like individual nations, which is probably something that I mean, I wonder if that's a thing that might have pushed Honda away from this film as well as this is a very even though it's it's got a valid point to make in like how we shouldn't really you know be on opposite sides of things here he didn't even really like to portray that he always liked to just have things be like un resolutions and un problems and have he had a very humanist view of things i i I see a lot of people get that kind of confused and saying like well you know honda he didn't have a realistic idea but i mean he knew the reality he just didn't he just wanted to portray a better one right yeah that's the that's that whole thing of like artists who just want to have like some escapism you know yeah uh, this yeah, is some, I love uh, I love that this bird lure works so well that Godzilla will walk right up to the very edge of a volcano without <laughs> even questioning it. He's an idiot. What do you expect? I mean, yeah, he's, he's a dumb dinosaur. I get that. You know. <laughs> right, we have some notes on Mount Mahara, don't we? Did we did we do? That? Yeah. What did we, what like? Where did that go? You don't re- you you don't know your own notes are. That's that's great. I can that I can read it for you. Is that the bottom? <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, Mount Mount Mahara does have cultural significance. Hey, culture, uh, cultural significance in Japan as the island that it's on was previously designated as a place for banishing exiles, and in the early 1900s. This is horrible, by the way. The the volcano became known as a prominent suicide spot, and they had to build a fence around the 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 crater, the 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 top of the volcano. I believe it's called the what? The caldera. Oh, maybe. Uh, They they had to build a fence and have guards patrolling to prevent further death. As from 1931 to 1937, more than two thousand people hurled themselves into the maw of the volcano i am not a suicidal person and i am not i do not suffer from depression but i could imagine thousands of better ways (laughs) burned alive this also this also kind of answers my sorry go ahead japan has a really large suicide rate so it doesn't surprise me too much it also kind of a- answers my my question from earlier as to why it just walks up to the edge of the, the volcano. <laughs> um, if you're listening to the if you're if you end up watching this movie in the Japanese version or the American version or both really, and in that little part right there where Godzilla falls into the volcano, there's quite a bit of a difference in the audio editing. There's a high-pitched scream that's really kind of bone-chilling in the American version that really makes it seem like Godzilla is, at the last moment, kind of realizing what's happening and uh, in pain and fear of what's happening, and that is not in the Japanese version at all. I prefer the American version Light of that. Light correction. Actually. That was in the Japanese version when it played in theaters. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, for whatever reason, in the jump to home video, that just kind of got got lost. But uh, it, 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 I, I'm not sure, you know, 
why, but uh, I, I I do know that it it did play. And then in the American version, also as Godzilla is falling into the volcano, you get Raymond Burr's famous uh, soliloquy monologue, whatever you want to call it, from from that version, which is you know it's it's basically pontificating. It's one. It's one of those things that it's verbalizing um, a lot of what the movie already tells you, but uh, it it's 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 really good, but it's not necessary. So. Right. It's one of those. I things, like it. I do like it a lot, though. It's one of those things that in a in a modern movie would probably bother me because it would probably be inserted somewhere in the middle of the movie, maybe even during like. It, a, it, pointing out the obvious during like a climactic battle moment because um, it's basically just telling you as a viewer who likes Godzilla all the things that are cool about Godzilla <laughs> that that you want to hear you know he's a yeah, he's like a nature has or... a way of reminding man how small he really is like yeah we know I've seen Godzilla movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but it is a cool monologue um, this yeah, is I the like first it end credits sequence in a Godzilla movie ever. Uh, Most of them, and and it's true of a lot of movies in general throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s had their credits at the beginning of the movie. Star Wars is the one that really popularized putting your credits at the end. Yeah, and then Mm. then at the end, they would just have a card that would come up and say, like, the end! Da, 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 da. Uh, you know, uh, something cool about Raymond Burr is that um, New World, they initially really wanted the uh, 85 version to be not just comedic, but a comedy. You know, almost parody. And when they brought it to Raymond Burr, he said... I'm not going to do this unless you treat it seriously. And so then they had to go and be like, well, I guess we should, I guess, keep more of the the tone of the the Japanese version because otherwise our big star isn't going to do the movie. Um, But uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he, he always took uh, his role in Godzilla seriously even though he was not part of the japanese production side of anything and um you know he he believed in uh the messaging of godzilla and uh he was he was really always kind of going to bat for godzilla and so when they said hey we're we're gonna you know redo this new japanese godzilla and make fun of it he he just said no i'm i'm not good to respect an artist that respects another artist's work and uh yeah the the last the last note i have is that for years this movie the 85 version at least was associated with a short by marv newland called bambi meets godzilla the theatrical screenings of the movie were preceded by the short and i actually saw that like very few if any of the tv airings were preceded by it as well but like i said i had a taped off of tv because I know it was taped off a of TV because at one point somebody who was taping it for me flipped through the channels and I <laughs> I had like a missing 30 seconds of the movie in the middle. Um, do you still have that tape? I probably do have it at my parents' house somewhere. Um, but I had a, a, a tape of this that had that short 
in front of it. So it had to have been on like an HBO screening of it or something like that. Um, and it's just a, how long is that short? Like two minutes. And if yeah. that, yeah. It, it's just Bambi eating some grass and then Godzilla's foot steps on it. It's, it's fun. It's cute. It's, uh, I have always associated it with this movie though, because of that. It was, it preceded my viewing of this movie every time. Yeah. As long as I was watching the 85 version on VHS, it was always there. Yep. So that's Godzilla 1984, Godzilla 1985, the return of Godzilla, Godzilla, whatever you want to call it. Um, I personally like this movie quite a bit. I do too. Um, I, I like this movie quite a bit. We, it's weird it doesn't get talked about as much as it does, almost. What? I don't see a lot of people talking about it unless they're specifically I, talking about. It's weird it doesn't get talked about as much as it does. <laughs> it's weird it doesn't get talked about as much as it should. There you go. Um, it, it seems to only come up when it. people talk about. Godzilla mo- examples of Godzilla movies that have done one a, a darker tone or uh, politically charged. You know, I, I don't see as much discourse about it as I do some of the other movies. Yeah, yeah as, as someone who's not quite as exposed to all things Godzilla, um, I didn't even know this movie existed <laughs> until you guys suggested doing this. So how 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 did you uh, you know register you know the 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 differences? Uh, with this I, version and the, the American version. So as far as, as the, the writing goes, I very much prefer uh, the Japanese version. Uh, it, it adds so much more nuance, complexity, more emotion. Uh, just it, it, it like ticks all the boxes for things that I look for in a movie. Um, the only thing that the American version, I think, did well uh, was the some of the extra characters that they added, even though they were, like we said, completely superfluous and really don't add anything to the movie. Some of them are just the way that the, the, they're portrayed and the actors that, that did that job, uh, I thought, did a wonderful job. Um, unfortunately, it, it does quite alter uh, the tone of the original, and I, I just – I much prefer the, the story of the original, honestly. Yeah, what's the guy? I like the guy that's like he just like was golfing and he has like the towel around. Yeah, yeah. Like, the word is golf, golf cleats. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some good moments, some good little character moments there, but yeah, they don't actually add anything to the narrative, which is a shame. All right, so that Dr. Pepper check. So you know. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know if we should hold our guests to our usual rating system. We usually rate things out of seven Dragon Balls. <laughs> um, because that's, you know, the, the thing with Dragon Ball, <laughs> um, it's, it's a, it's a, a bit of cultural relevance for, for us. But if I, if I were going to rate this out of Dragon Balls out of seven Dragon Balls, I'd probably go with, with five out of seven. Um, that's what I was thinking. That is weirdly also what I was thinking. <laughs> if, if I'm going to go with a star rating, it's like a solid three and a half. It might creep up to a four depending on my mood. That's about where I am, too. Like, I, I really like this movie, and it fluctuates. Like, I, you know, I, every time I watch it, it, it might fluctuate a little bit between, like, a three and a half and a four. I'm at a three, three and a half, but I think uh, given everything we're facing in today's world, it hit a bit different doing this commentary today. 
So well, it's sadly relevant still. Yeah. I think I think it was just yeah. this week I saw something about North Korea shooting missiles, you know, towards Japan or something. I, I mean, it's still they're just cranky. They just they just need their their feeding. That's all. <laughs> this was the first. You know, this was the first Godzilla movie that was dubbed in Korean. Previous Godzilla well, movies go. had been screened in Japanese with Korean subtitles. Hmm. So what do you guys got going on over at Kaiju Transmissions this month for our listeners Well, it's out October, there? and uh, for people that are familiar with us, we love October because we love horror, and we always really amp up our content flow, and uh, we go... Uh, we usually start going weekly in October, and we do kind of a horror-themed episode every week, which our, our recording schedule has taken a quite a hit this month. Um, Matt was sick, and we had to delay four episodes, and then you got sick, and we had to yeah. delay four episodes. And then on <laughs> top of those, no, three episodes d- were delayed twice. And then on top of those, there's still two more that we want to crank out by the end of the month. So uh, I, I, our plans are going to be the same, but we're definitely going to be carrying our Halloween theme into uh, November more than we normally would. Um, and uh, yeah, we have uh, uh, a few movies that uh, we'll be talking about that I'm really looking forward to. I don't know if I want to spoil it, but uh, there, there's some that... Um, we have some really good movies that we'll talk about that are also going to be really good recommendations. So, so yes, if you, if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to check out the Kaiju Transmission guys. They are always unearthing. It is called Kaiju Transmissions, but they are often unearthing just off the beaten path, Japanese tokusatsu, special effects, interesting sci-fi, horror Anything kind of in that vein that, that you know, if if you've heard every Godzilla podcast review, every Godzilla movie for the umpteenth time, and you're sick of that, check those, check these guys out. They're, they're always doing something a little bit, you know, unique and different and off of that beaten path, which uh, obviously translates to massive, massive ratings. Um <laughs> <laughs> Lots and lots of, of downloads by 12 people. I, do, do we really have room to talk in that regard? <laughs> um, but so, yeah, for the rest of the month here, we will be doing uh, – we've got one more mini-sode lined up. we got to get Bikini lined out on his top ten Dragon Ball designs. Uh, and then we will be doing our Don Dracula episode where uh, we'll be focusing in on that episode mostly on – screenwriter uh takayo takeo takao takao i'm terrible at that koyama who was the the screenwriter for don dracula and also for many 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 episodes of dragon ball and dragon ball z so uh we'll be we'll be talking about don dracula but we're going to be digging into that guy i have a whole bunch of information and really interesting stuff i found out about him and how he sort of revolutionized a lot of screenwriting in in japan so that'll be uh that'll be the focus of our don dracula episode and that'll round us out for uh dragon ball halloween where we're just taking a little bit of a fun break from our usual format 
Gotta keep it fresh. Anyone else have anything else that they would like to add? Well, for fans of your show, I should mention that you're usually on all our October episodes in case that didn't come across. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm, I'm, I take up residence in the, the KT studios in October. (laughs) We, we have a lot of, we have a lot of free time in our, our, uh, expeditions through space just the two of us yeah (laughs) what will bikini's top 10 designs of all time be what will we say about don dracula spoiler alert it's not very good (laughs) oh damn find out next time and help us achieve our final forum is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 